Hello again, and welcome to another episode of CBO Speaks. I'm your host, Donna Sheely. Today, I'm honored to talk with Christina Dalton. She is the Vice President for Business and Finance at West Virginia State University. Christina, welcome, and thanks for being with us today. Glad to be here. Thank you all. Yes, I'm so glad to be talking to a fellow HBCU Connect. Yes. (laughs) Yes. All right, so... You um, have been in your role at uh, West Virginia State University for just about a year now. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. Well, give us a brief summary of what your leadership role entails at WVCU. So we um, essentially oversee probably the most departments on campus. Uh, That's a combination of facilities, HR, student accounts, um, the bookstore, budget and accounting, So it's basically a widespread uh, departmental unit that essentially provide the overall operations for the university. You're fairly young, and I'm not saying that in a negative way, (laughs) but that leads us to talk about how West Virginia Magazine named you a West Virginia Wonder Woman back in 2016. And I love how they started the article by asking, how does a 30-year-old at the time, a 30-year-old woman become the chief financial officer of a rising institution? It's such a great question. Tell us how you did that. (laughs) Um, Well, I did, uh, you know, prior to that, I spent a lot of my professional career in state government uh, working for the attorney general's office as the controller. So I moved up in the ranks while I was at the AG's office and I got to a point where I wanted a change. I was seeking out female leaders that could be potential mentors for me. Uh, and came across the uh, current president of WVU Tech. Um, She has a breadth of experience being the chair of the Board of Governors at our largest institution here in West Virginia. Um, She's been obviously the president of a university. She's been a superintendent for a public school system. Um, So I knew that if I could, uh, if I made it to... uh, through the interview process where I got to sit in front of her, uh, knowing what she brought to the table. Um, strong women recognize strong women. Uh, so she believed in me um, at the time when she hired me actually at 29. Wow. But um, I basically just let her know that um, she would not regret uh, giving me that opportunity until this day she will tell you that that's probably one of the best decisions that she made. Uh, I know she did get some pushback given my age, um, but she she believed in me and I knew that I couldn't let her down. First of all, that is amazing. And congratulations on that. Let's talk a little bit a little bit more about the age, because I know you said she possibly got some pushback. Talk to me a little bit more about that, because, you know, I'm sure. There are some things that people think, well, you're too young. You don't know certain things. But I'm sure there's some advantages of being youthful in this role, too. So talk to us a little bit more about that. So I think it's 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 a balancing act in that, um, you know, you always have to be humble and respectful because, you know, people that are tenured and have been with the institution for quite some time, they do bring um, important knowledge to the table from a historical standpoint, um, but also those employees or professionals that are younger 
can also bring a little bit of a different flavor when we talk about IT-related advancement and process improvement, um, especially in higher ed, when we talk about catering to the Gen Z population, um, you know, young professionals can have a different perspective um, that can partner with someone who may have been at the institution for a longer period of time to where if you do it right, it could be the perfect combination and the perfect marriage to ensure that a university is successful moving forward. Yeah. And I think another piece of that, I know as a part of Nakubo, you're a part of the uh, National Advisory Group on Leadership Diversity. I am. Talk to me about your philosophy on the importance of diversity. And I know bringing that's another perspective as someone being younger, you know, bringing that into the role of a CBO. So, you know, one of the things, as you indicated, um, is that I'm an advocate for uh, female leaders, uh, African-American leaders being in positions such as CBOs, because, again, I think it can be a way for other students uh, to see that they can uh, achieve their dreams to be a CFO or to be a CBO if they can see someone that that essentially looks like them. Um, so I think it is huge to for a lot of universities to continue to move DEI forward to where um, whether you're you know a minority, whether you're female. Um, whether you're a part of the LGBT community, if students can see from the top that a university values DEI by putting individuals in those key positions, then that further furthers the mission of the university. Yeah. And speaking of that, like the students you all are preparing for tomorrow's workforce will be the most diverse in American history. So right. if you had to give us maybe some of the best skills that you feel CBOs need to be ready for this task of preparing these uh, students, uh, what would you say would be some of those skills that, uh, you know, CBOs would need to have? People will tell you I'm a big, I'm a big advocate. A lot of um, our backgrounds in the CBO uh, come from or either finance professionals by trade or accountants by trade. Uh, historically, especially accountants have uh, gotten somewhat of a bad rep as far as being maybe a little bit antisocial, uh, being more introverted. But uh, I'm the type, again, you know, you don't really see that across a lot of higher ed institutions. But um, I used to be advisors for student organizations. So it's really the social aspect of a CBO that can really be the difference in how our position and our areas can interact with students. Um, you know, I think also when we look at financial literacy, that is another big part that I know a lot of CBOs such as myself push. We know that um, higher education is probably one of the, the biggest expenses that any individual will undertake. So it's our goal to ensure that the, our students who graduate um, have a good head on their shoulders when it comes to finances and ensuring that, again, opportunities for success are limitless for them 
um, if they can truly uh, get a, a good handle on their personal finances moving forward from a financial literacy standpoint. Now, let's go back to mentorship. Um, you talked about um, how the president, you know, mentored you. Um, now, you reaching back, you know, you can't mentor everyone. But what are some things that you look forward for in uh, mentees uh, that you are grooming and getting ready for this role? Perfect example. Um, the former president that you speak about during during my departure um, prior to being in the current role that I'm in, um, I started to groom what was then our controller. Um, so, and I'm, I'm ecstatic to say that after my departure, you know, she was in the interim CFO role awesome. and the president ended up naming her um, my successor as CFO. Wow. So that was, you know, that was probably one of the best days of my career, knowing that, you know, I give myself a little bit of credit. Yeah. Um, you know, I, you know, essentially groomed her to be ready for the opportunity once it was presented. And she was actually 26. Oh. So she was even younger than me when I assumed the role of CFO. Oh, my goodness. That's awesome. But yeah, so so some of the qualities that she had is that she was very proactive. Um, she was a go-getter. Uh, she was very much a teamwork-oriented person. Um, she had a mindset to where she executed any goal, any strategy that was put in front of her. Um, but she also did it with respect. Uh, she was very calm. She was very understanding to her colleagues uh, because you have to be, you know, the technical aspect. I understand from our backgrounds, we've got that part. But again, from a social standpoint and having that being empathetic to your team members and being understanding and understanding ways that motivate them to achieve the overall mission that's a separate part of what makes someone successful in this role. Yeah, that's huge. I really, oh, that's great. We got to get her on the show as well. All right. right? <laughs> we'll get her on here as well. All right. So if you had a do-over card, you know, something, we, we, I think our greatest lessons are learned from our biggest mistakes, right? And so, um, you know, not to you know, make it seem like a negative thing, but what's something you've done since you've been a CBO that you'd say, you know, if you had a do-over card, hmm, I think I could have done that a little differently. Is there anything like that? Uh, so part of the growth in my professional development as a manager, again, gets to the empathetic part and the understanding part of knowing that your team members have other uh, issues, stresses outside of work um, to where we can be so focused on achieving X, Y, and Z goals or X, Y, and Z missions that we forget to give our team members grace and the understanding that maybe if they don't perform at their highest level every day, that's okay. Um, because you have to understand from, especially with the pandemic, mentally speaking, you know, you have to be mindful not to put too much on your team members 
to where they tap out before they even get started. So it's really that understanding that we all have lives outside of our nine to five and that we need to be understanding and flexible with our colleagues because obviously, you know, that will provide those team members or those colleagues more wherewithal and understanding that their managers are empathetic of what they may be going through that essentially increases the employee morale because you're not so much stressed out and high strung on what actually needs to be completed, but rather you have the understanding um, that, you know, you can come to work one day and you may not be able to give your best effort. However, you can still give the most effort that you can give at that time. At that time. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. That is really good. Thank you for that. All right. Are there any final thoughts that you have before we close out today? You know, I I think this is a great industry to be a part of. Um, Again, I've had a little bit of, of years in state government, a little bit in nonprofit and financial services. But higher education is truly the most rewarding industry that I've worked in. Uh, You get to develop those relationships with students. uh, And four years later, you get to see them walk across the stage. uh, And that's the most rewarding thing. Um, And it's really about finding a career that you're passionate about. And that's also rewarding. So I would say to those who are not in higher education looking or or listening to this podcast, um, that is truly a rewarding experience to be a part of a student's journey in achieving and being the best that they can possibly be. That's awesome. Well, Christina, thank you for sharing with us today. We appreciate everything you shared. Really, really good. Yes. And you can find out more about Christina Dalton in today's episode by visiting podcasts at nakubo.org under professional development, then click online education. Make sure you subscribe to CBO Speaks on Apple Podcasts so that you can get the latest episodes instantly. And on behalf of Christina and myself, I want to thank you for joining us for this episode of CBO Speaks. Be well. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Susan Wheeler Johnston, President and CEO of the National Association of College and University Business Officers. You can find resources for today's episode, as well as a wide variety of research and tools at nakubo.org. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Thank you.